on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. What I'm hearing you say as far as like your leadership ability, specifically with this instance, is that it didn't have to be your idea. It didn't have to be your thing. Like it was also their thing because they built it with you. You didn't say me, I, what I did. It was what we did together. And, and although that's so small, it makes a big difference on how then they accept it because if it's not theirs, then why would they act like it's theirs? I think if you want to be growing a growing business, you've got to have other people that have that, yeah. you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you've obviously got that, but if you can surround yourself with other people that have a version of it, like, okay, maybe they don't have the same risk as what you're putting in, but you know, you open a new store, a new retail store, like it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of freaking work. It's a lot of days in a row. It's long nights. It's, it's people yelling at you and you deserve it. <laughs> <It's>, you're going <laughs> to screw some stuff up. And um, that's right. That's you know, right. If they've gone through the grind with you and, you know, they had bad days and they, I've had plenty of them cry on me and had rough days and want to give up. And when they get through yeah. that, that's when they feel the pride in it. And yeah. if you did it all and then handed it to them, then they wouldn't have that. So you know, sharing it is is one of the best parts. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. Today, I've got Nick Daniels on the King stage. My man, how are you? Very well, very well, very excited. Good. Well, I'm excited that you're excited. I, I, well, what we were just talking about off air, you dropped a couple of things that I hope that we get into because you had mentioned, you know, kind of the region of, you know, the country that you're in, maybe a certain school that you went to. I want to make sure, <laughs> make sure that all that gets brought up. Oh, you're okay. making me warn him from the beginning, huh? You know, from the beginning, I want to. You know, Buckeye Nation's coast to coast, man. I know, I know, it's a real thing. And when you said the Ohio State, I knew exactly <laughs> the presence that I was in. You know, at least um, you understand. I, I do. I, 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 I can't. I'm not in the camp, but I, I see the camp. I understand the camp. I know the camp colors. <laughs> exactly. Hey, pride is a great motivator. It is. is. That's one thing Ohio State definitely brings. That's right. I love it. Nick, tell us what kind of business that you're in, man. So I'm in a retail furniture business, good, better, best. I mean, we sell any household income, like target zip codes would be between $40,000 to probably around 200, 220. Average household income in the Midwest, Cincinnati, Louisville, Dayton, and 10 locations open in number number 11 in the spring. So we're definitely in the growth phase. And, uh, that's pretty much where we're at. Yeah, man. I love the multi-city. I know a couple of things about having a couple of different franchises in different cities. There's some awesomeness to that as well as some struggle. Maybe we'll get into some of that as well. But I want to know, obviously, in the you know furniture space, I'm sure COVID was a big deal. I, I know it was a big deal. Um, the, the challenges even coming out of like, you know, what do they call it? A sofa foam. When I ordered oh, yeah. my, my my freaking sofa, they were like, we we ran out of foam. 
I'm oh, sorry, man. what? <laughs> yeah, we literally had days. And I, if you're not familiar with our showrooms, I mean, I probably have 120 sofas total in the store. People would walk in, and this is probably late 2020, early 21. Can you show me any sofas you have in stock? Yeah, I, there's none. Like, don't worry zero. about it. There aren't any. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, and then not even just like, hey, I'll order it, have it shipped to your house next week. It's like six, eight, 12 months. Just this take, crazy yeah, thing. Two to four to six to eight to 12. Somewhere in there. <laughs> That's a, that escalated quickly. Yeah, two yeah. to four to six, eight to 12. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I want to know before we get too much into this, Nick, at this level, you've obviously achieved a certain level of success. You think in a certain way, you're, you're, you're on the grind, man. You've been on the grind. Why continue forward? You know, at this level, there's something pushing you beyond it. What is it? Definitely. So being in the family business, my grandfather started it. He obviously wow. took a huge risk. That's like where the initial entrepreneurial risk came from was him starting it in Erlanger, Kentucky, kind of going all in. Family didn't have a lot at the time, slowly built it from there. He had worked in a furniture store before. Wow. And then for the most part, my uncle took the company from for I don't know, roughly 20 years or so, maybe 30 until the mid probably 2015 or so. And he okay. built it into the market dominance in Cincinnati that we have. Wow. That was kind of his I would largely credit his accomplishments as my uncle Rick. We have a dominant market share in the city of Cincinnati. We have way too many stores there. <laughs> if you're like <laughs> actually like laying a strategy to it, you'd say we'd have way too many. But where my cousins and I started to come into it, we finally made the leap. You know, I, I opened our store in Dayton, Ohio. That was our first one out of the Cincinnati market. Yeah. And then I opened the store in Louisville. That was our second venture outside the Cincinnati market. So now it's like us proving that we can you know, we have this mousetrap and we can expand it outside that. And then also yeah. like we have this giant distribution center until we can maximize its, you know, facility, like as a facility, like maximize its capacity and get the best value out of it. That's kind of like the next goal. Yeah. And then who knows whether it's me or somebody else that has to decide if we need a, a bigger facility or what to do from there. Right. We'll figure that out then. I love it. I love it for multiple reasons because it's multi-generational which, you know, I know we talked about just briefly, you know, at the beginning here, because a lot of entrepreneurs are first generation, right? Like tired of it. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, shove it to the man, if you will. I'm going to, I'm going to go do my own thing. But that's not your story. And that's okay. I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are second and even third generation, but for you, what was it like inside of that? Cause that's as a first generation entrepreneur right now, myself, you know, first generation millionaire, first generation, all of that. I'm thinking my kids, my grandkids, their kids' kids, right? Which are cousins, which are you guys, you. <laughs> what was it like inside of that? Because right. I need to know the listener, yeah. even though they got this little bitty business, they need to know. Tell us. So my, I'll, I'll first say, my cousins and I all have different stories here, but I'll tell mine, but because my, mine's definitely a little different. I grew up, you know, I remember like my T, my T-ball shirt said furniture fair, or, you know, my sponsored the team and everybody knew, you know, that that's what I did. And when I 14, 15 started working in the stores, right. Assembling stuff, cleaning, washing windows, cleaning bathrooms, carrying furniture, whatever. Yeah. So age 14, 15, 16, all the other employees, the way they treated me was, well, obviously you're going to work here. Well, obviously, you know, this is going to be yours one day. And I just hated that with everything I had. Just Interesting. So it was like everything I had was to prove that I don't need this, that this wasn't handed to me. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to paint my own way. Watch what I Got can it. do. Got it. 
So went to Ohio State, studied fisheries science. Always loved to fish. That's, I mean, I never will stop yeah. loving to fish. That is like <laughs> the other passion in my life, like fishing and furniture. Kind of yeah. Yeah. And had some internships, Ohio EPA, Ohio Division of Wildlife. And I had grad school paid for Minnesota State. I was going to do a research project on a stream up there. Dream job was fisheries biologist for like a, you know, division of wildlife type of thing. Yeah. And I was making, I don't remember exactly. It was like $10 an hour and 2% commission yeah. or something like that. And I just called dad like, Hey, can I like have a summer job? And he's like, yeah, we got these tent sale going on. Just like manage the inventory, sell to overflow, whatever. Okay. And I'm looking at this paycheck and I'm like, damn, 2% commission adds up pretty quick. I'm kind of good at this. Like, this is kind of fun. Like people are instantly respecting me and like, kind of like going to me for like yeah. things I'm in no way, shape or form qualified to do, but they just kind of like trusted me. Yeah. And right then, like in the parking lot, I got a call from my professor that had an assistantship and he said, I don't need as many TAs this upcoming quarter. You can either come up here, start your research or wait till next quarter. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to cash in is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Called dad, said, yo, this furniture thing, I'm pretty good at it. I kind of like it. I'm all in. Let's go. Wow. So my start was a little different. I've kind of been all in since then, but. Sure. Yeah, I had to, I had to prove it my own way first, I think, to myself, if anything else. What, what was it like to, obviously, as an individual, <clears throat> you have all the entrepreneurial qualities, like all the things that you just got done talking about, we as listeners can all relate to the proving of, of yourself, you know, just going off and doing your own thing, even though maybe it was laid out for you or whatever. We all feel that way to a degree. So what was it like in response with your uncle, your dad? Like, you know, were they teaching you business? Were they, were they affirming you as an individual? Like, what was it like that, that way? Oh yeah. So that's, that's an interesting part of like my career is like, yeah, a lot of it is like natural and my choice and I made it. Yeah. But I'm not going to lie about like the like opportunities that I had and like the environment that I was given to be able to like be developed. Yeah. Like I remember being like eight and nine years old. And like, if I had to call the friend to like ask if they wanted to come over and play, I yeah. was coached how to make a phone call. Who do you ask for? How do you leave a yeah. voicemail? Like all of that, like from the very beginning. So, you know, and then I think my cousins also had different paths. Um, the ones that were in the business at the time hadn't gone to school. So I think the idea of one of us coming in that kind of came from a different background, I think they were pretty accepting Yeah. as well as like what I did next, which was dad's response was, okay, let me find somewhere else for you to work. Wow. Which was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I moved to rural Pennsylvania, worked for another furniture company out there. So I got to work in the furniture business, like where your parents don't own the place. Yeah, get treated a little different. And yeah, luckily, that company was like incredibly good to me. It was like the best thing that could have happened in my career. Sure. Kind of like went all furniture, like they would give me a day off. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I guess I'll drive to Baltimore <laughs> and visit furniture stores. So it was just like <laughs> all work all the time. So it's like that whirlwind level experience to like be able to yeah. come back, like have things to bring to the table. Totally. Did your dad know that? Is that why he strategically did that? Or he was just like, I, I will, we'll kill each other if we do it together. <laughs> he didn't learn that until later, but no, he was smart enough to have seen it in other people. So okay. the guy that I worked for out in Pennsylvania, his name was Doug Wolf. He did the same thing. His parents, his dad was in the furniture business. He went and moved, I think it was somewhere in North Carolina at the time and lived there and worked for someone else for a while. 
and talked about how good it is. And now, interestingly enough, like now that I have that experience and I know what it did to me, it's like one of my major career goals is to do that for someone else. Like, yeah. I really want to take someone else in and like show them yep. how we do it so they can take it back to their place is like definitely one of my goals. Yeah. Love that. Just the giving back aspect. Okay. So let's go a little bit more practical now, now that we kind of know what's, what's driving on the inside. In the first couple of years, as you're maybe opening up that new location that you talked about, maybe that might be practical here, but I want to know of a good decision that you made, a business decision that you can share. Listeners are about to write down whatever you say, and they're going to go implement it. So where, where are you leading us? A good decision I made. I was afraid you're going to ask me that. I'm, I'm much better at speaking about the bad ones. <laughs> Don't uh, worry, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I would say you know, when you, when you have to consciously make that click, when you're building something is like, I need to stop doing yeah. and start watching. And it, I, the first time I did it, I didn't do as good of a job. The second time it was like, okay, let me see if I can sit here and do nothing. Cause if I, this is done, then there's nothing for me to do. I can go home. Right. And the second I backed off, you know, I kind of realized that one of the managers I had put in place didn't really represent what we were and sure. kind of had to make a last second change that meant me staying there for another four or five months. Right. But it definitely turned out to be the right call. Had to restart, hire a new manager, train a new manager, get there. Right. But now that the store's piping hot and on fire and done nothing but grow since I left, like that's, I think the sign that you made the right call is it grew from where I left it. Yeah. hundred percent. And so the decision actually in that moment, yes, to rehire and pull the plug on the one, but what I heard you say before that was slow down to speed up, which was, you know, intangible, obviously, like we can do that in lots of different ways inside the business. For you in that moment, it was being able to see that maybe this person wasn't the right fit, be able to make an adjustment. What would you say to the person? Because we both know, especially early on, the listener right now, they're running crazy. They're all over the place. They got too many hats on. Not one of them says King, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> what I mean by that is that they're obviously busy being busy, like you're talking about. And for them to slow down in order to speed up sounds nice. How do they go do that? What would you suggest? Well, I think you, I mean, first, hopefully you have a plan, a goal, a, an exit plan. And like, if you're building a division, a, a new location, whatever it is, like if the end game shouldn't be for you to run everything all the time, if it is, right. then that's, you're pretty much maxed out as big as you're going to be. So yeah, I knew from the beginning, like, even though it was my baby, I hired everybody there. Like I had my heart and soul into this store, like everything in it, everyone knows I have their back, but at some point it's like, I've got to transition this to somebody else Yeah, and slowly being able to back off and like, just watch them. And it, it, I had to do it over time because like, sometimes it came to like hiring decisions, like this salesperson couldn't, wouldn't work for me. Or I'm sitting there thinking like, dang, this person can sell, but they're a real pain in the butt. And I don't think my yep. replacement's going to be able to handle it. Yeah. So it's like, just, um, it's not really an acceptance of failure, just like an acceptance of like, they're going to do a little bit different. Do I yeah. trust them to turn this over to them so that I can go build something else? Right. And it's, it's a strange feeling to like sit in the store and not carry furniture and not wait on customers and not train people. It's yep. a little different to just sit there, but I've yep. gotten better at it actually. Yeah. <laughs> for a minute or two. <laughs> Good. Okay. So I, I want to just hit this home one more time here because the the principle of what you're you're breaking down is is something that we have to repeatedly do, right? Like you just said, I'm still kind of working on it. I'm still getting good at this. As high drivers, as entrepreneurs, as ones that are 
you know, like it's our baby. So then therefore we need, we feel like we need control. We maybe a perfectionist, like all these things kind of swirl into one equation that equates to you doing it yourself forever. And so I loved what you said there is that if the goal is for you to do it yourself, maybe we need to start by identifying what that actually means to you, because I guarantee you, you started your business for freedom and you doing everything yourself is not freedom. So when they think about hiring a salesperson, when they think about hiring operations or admin or marketing or all these things that you have currently, but they get nervous. What would you say to them about that? I've had to have this conversation a few times. Like one, no, it's not going to be easy to find someone that you deem good enough. Like, right. especially right now, like hiring people is hard and training people is hard. Like that is, that is what it is, but get over it. And understand they're going to do it a little bit differently. You've got to find out, hey, hey, there's probably ways better than you can do it that somebody else might be able to. So maybe identifying some of those. And in the, in the case I'm talking about, I got lucky there. Like this person definitely had skills that I didn't. Yeah. So it was easier to like say, okay, run with that. Like you've got this. I, I don't have design skills. You know, I, I can tell you how a sofa's made beginning to end. I can tell you everything that's in it and how they did it. Right. But you want to ask me about what color looks best, whichever one you like is my favorite. Exactly. <laughs> but being able to cultivate that skill, hey, she had it. I didn't run with that. So I would say being able to recognize like some, there's going to be other ways that people can make it better. And then you can always keep an eye on them. Like the things that, that you do better necessarily is like the things that you're going to watch moving forward. But yeah. you just got to have some, find a way to trust them that that your time is valuable too. You got to put it somewhere. Yeah. But if your time is best suited as building something, making something more than, than the maintenance and slow growth has got to be left up to somebody else. Yeah. And also too, if you can identify what you just said to the team member, to the person taking this thing from you, the slow growth or the maintenance, then they know that there's a purpose for that. It's not just you going to the beach. It's you moving on to the next stage of the business growth. Oh yeah. No, they've got to definitely feel like they're part of the team. And, you know, luckily it was someone that I had in there from the beginning. So like they had just yeah. as much pride in it as I did. And by the time I handed it to them, they were excited to like see where they could take it. And that's exactly what you want. Like someone else taking pride in, in what you built together. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. Yeah. I'm also one last thing here before we move on to the bad decision. What I'm hearing is just that like a, a lack of ego. I mean, you did say that you went to a certain school and maybe you didn't lack ego. But what I'm hearing you say, as far as like your leadership ability, specifically with this instance, is that it didn't have to be your idea. It didn't have to be your thing. Like it was also their thing because they built it with you. You didn't say me, I, what I did, it was what we did together. And, and although that's so small, it makes a big difference on how then they accept it. Because if it's not theirs, then- why would they act like it's theirs? I think if you want to be growing a growing business, you've got to have other people that have that, yeah. you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you've obviously got that, but if you can surround yourself with other people that have a version of it, like, okay, maybe they don't have the same risk as what you're putting in, but you know, you open a new store a new retail store, like it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of freaking work. It's a lot of days in a row. It's long nights. It's, it's people yelling at you and you deserve it. <laughs> it's, you're going to screw some stuff up. And um, that's right. That's you know, if right. they've gone through the grind with you and, you know, they had bad days and they, I've had plenty of them cry on me and had rough days and want to give up. And when they get through yeah. that, that's when they feel the pride in it. And 
if you did it all and then handed it to them, then they wouldn't have that. So, yep. you know, sharing it is, is one of the best parts. hundred percent. All right. <clears throat> the inevitable bad decision. Give it to us. What was it? I know there was lots, but man, give us that moment in time. That was just ah, rough to get over. I don't even though it was like a singular decision. It was just more like an attitude. Mm. And I think it kind of stemmed from like the confidence and the mousetrap that we had in Cincinnati. But the first time we stepped out to Dayton, you know, I just thought I'm so much better than my competition. Like everybody's just, they're just going to be so excited to buy from us instead of them. And the same with like employees, like, oh, all I've heard about my whole life is how they're a terrible place to work. And this is going to be so much better. And they're just going to run to me. Like, it's going to be easy. We're going to unlock the doors. It's going to be a pretty store. We're going to have all these options. Money's going to flow. Gonna run to me. <laughs> and holy crap, was I wrong? Like it did not work like that. The beginning was a real grind. We unlocked the door and stared at the parking lot for a long time. Wow. And kind of had to earn it slowly but surely and give people the right experience and get them talking about it and get them in it and same with like employees like we had to prove to them that you could make money here and that we've got something that works and yeah it's a little new here and it's a little different but just that we just had weights we were way overconfident and and what we were trying to fire up and had i had a little bit more humility and a little bit more like i need to find the right team right now they're not going to come to me i need to go get them yeah, I, I would have saved a year of my life, probably. Yeah. Okay, so I, I liked how you gave just like that last little tidbit there. Basically, if if you're not overly confident or don't have this ginormous ego about certain things happening, then you kind of have to go make it happen. So I like that <clears throat> as far as a practical, but what would you say if you had to do it all over again, which you have done it over again in other cities? And so how have you done it differently? Or what would you suggest to the listener as they're taking notes on, okay, don't be overly confident. Don't have a big ego. Don't have an attitude that things are going to be handed to me, that I'm just better, that things are going to work in one location like they did the other. What's the practical underneath that? I mean, I've listened to this podcast enough times. I've heard it from enough other people to, to pretty confidently say, like, have a freaking plan. Know what you need. And that's what I screwed up. Like, we didn't have 100% of the plan. We just knew we had to hire people. So we hired a few. And we yeah. just thought it would, like, work out from there. Like, that's not a plan. Like for me, like in order to build a sales team, I need top performers. Like I need a couple of people showing them the way of what's possible. And until you have that, you're going to struggle. And it was like, I, I didn't have that plan. I just kind of thought it would slowly all come together. It wasn't, it wasn't thought out. It wasn't, you know, here's what I need. Here's the pieces that I've got to put in place. Yeah. And so, you know, I've heard, I've heard enough people on here, you know, almost sounds silly not having one, but in the moment, it was just like, you know, like I said, we thought we knew what we were doing. We we opened stores before, but it was in a town that knew us. It was people knew that right. we were a good place to work. People knew we were a good place to shop. They're just we're just making it a little closer for them. So I, that would be my biggest thing is like yeah. just because one neighborhood trusts you doesn't mean the next one does. Like you're going to have to do it over again. Yeah, and what you just said there too that the overconfidence leads to lack of preparation. <clears throat> you know, and so how many times true is that? It doesn't mean necessarily that you have to have everything planned to a T in order to execute. A lot of times it's just, Hey, look, get some confidence and just jump. And don't get but, me wrong. I hope my dad doesn't listen to this because he'd be screaming in the background. I told you to hire 30 salespeople. <laughs> well, for you to be able to even admit that it's, it's a good stage of, of bringing, bringing the ego down because dude, i I feel you. This is a process. You know, a lot of people that know Chaz Wolf today don't know, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when when I just was a young guy who thought 
I could do anything. And, and you can, but like, you have to, like what you're saying is that you, if you overly think it, if you overly project it without any sort of detail behind it, then, then you're just going to, you're just going to injure yourself. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Not to injure okay. yourself. What type of process do you have now, Nick? Like when you, when you think about making a decision, opening up a new store, marketing, like all these decisions that come across your desk, is there a process, certain steps, anything like that? Well, that's where I think, you know, it might, might be a little bit different in a medium-sized business where it's not a me process. It's definitely yeah. a we process. Like I have people here that all think differently, you know, in like our, our inner circle, whatever you want to call it. I, we have a you know, in our family business world, we call it a key employee. Like, yeah, she's not family, but she might as well be. Who's yep. our merchandise manager. Like she has a design eye. She knows what women think. She knows what, you know, higher end clientele, more affluent neighborhoods are going to think we're going to take her opinion. I've got my introverted cousin who's, uh, you know, does, he's got plenty of money, but still drives beaters. You know, that kind of guy that's just like ready to work. We're going to take his opinion. That's not going to be as pretty, but Right. You know, might be a little more efficient. Yeah. And so it's like, then you got people like my dad and I and my cousin, who's like a more engineering accounting background. And so by the time you like add up everybody's evaluation, you can kind of like make an overall decision and kind of weigh whatever it is, like who should probably have a bigger say, who should I listen to more? Yeah. So it's just, it's more about like having the right people in your inner circle and, and you know, listening to them, trusting them at this point than it is necessarily following a real specific process for us. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, because each decision looks a little different. It weights a little different. I love how you guys, you gave each person maybe like their own lane and it doesn't mean that they own it completely, but maybe they have the expertise in that lane. And so maybe you weight their decision-making in that lane differently. I think all that's super strategic. So I love that. That's, that's the other like advantage that I had in like being developed is like I spent time in almost every department of this company. I've been in the call center. I've done customer service. I've been in purchasing. I've driven a delivery truck. I've sold stuff, managed stuff, hired stuff. Almost I've nothing I, I haven't done, which means they know when I'm asking for their opinion, they know, I know, I understand what struggle or what this decision means for them or who I need to check with before yeah. we make a certain decision, how it's going to affect people. Yeah. You know, I've kind of earned that trust with them. And that, I think that's probably one of my biggest advantages. Yeah. I think, you know, just spitballing with you here, but I think it also gives you the ability because they know that you already know and that you're still asking for their opinion. It actually shows the, your value in them as an individual. And I think that's just a huge leadership tactic that I think that the listener can take away. That's why I'm saying it, but you got to see it in real life, right? What Nick was just talking about is that, in essence, I don't need the opinion of the delivery manager or the whatever, fill in the blank, because I've done it. I already know the struggles. Could be an attitude, but yeah, you'd be in big trouble there if you, if you take that one. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You value people? At this, at this level, like you just got too many people and there's too many people that's affected. Like you'd think just sell furniture, deliver it. It's not that freaking complicated. I really wish it was that that way. But there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that work together. And, yep. you know, I've seen people in this business that are like real reactionary and don't take the time to like realize, hey, you just tweaked how you sell something. Okay. You didn't tell customer service. And now they're telling a different story to your same customer or your delivery drivers in the house quoting one return policy because you changed it and didn't tell everybody like it it all works together good stuff okay i'm gonna switch over to the speed round on you here i want to know in the furniture business multi-location different cities lots of stuff going on as you just pointed out 
What's the number one trackable KPI that you're paying attention to? Okay. So for me and my business, it's called dollars per up. So that's a, that's a combination of how many people walk through the door, which may or not be that controllable. You know, that's, sure. that's right. subject to economics. It's subject to weather. It's subject to if the Bengals are playing well, but whatever <laughs> yeah. that number is, what did you do with it? Got it. So it's a combination of average ticket and close ratio is dollars per up. I, you Got can't it. control how many customers I'm going to be able to put you in front of. I'm going to do what right. I can to make it as big as I can. But yep. if at the end of the day, if you're converting that to a high dollars per up, be it high close rate or average ticket, right. then I'm going to be okay. We're going to be fine. Yep. Everything else is, is figure it outable, right? As I say. Okay. What book would you recommend or resource for a business owner trying to scale? You know, I, I, so I'm in retail, so obviously I've read a couple of things on Jeff Bezos, but I think it's called Invent and Wander is the one where okay. he like goes through all of the like letters to stockholders or shareholders, whatever they call that. Got yeah. Listening yeah. to that and the progress and like how the wow. the percentage of hits that he had of like predictions yeah. is just incredible. And then if my dad were to answer the question, he'd say good to great. So that connection of like the flywheel concept, I think yeah. is kind of big here. We like that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Both great resources. I have not heard of the Jeff Bezos book, but I can only imagine, like you're saying, just hearing him throughout the years and realizing, I guess it's really actually what the show's about. It's like, it, yes, we make mistakes, right? But the idea of me asking guys like you about a good decision, a bad decision, and now your process is so that the listener can make good decisions, you know? And, and if they can just make more good decisions than bad decisions, it doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. We do. And we learn from them, ideally. But if you can just have a track record, a history, as you said, from Jeff Bezos of what, like, man, he called it, he did it, it was on, man. You, like, you get to watch, I mean, I listen to it. I'm, I drive a lot, having multiple stores. It's like, I'm all over the place. So I'm always listening to him. But you listen to what he told people in 97. And then you listen to what he told him in 98. And then you listen to what he told him in 99. And it's like, dude, dude knew what he was doing. He had a plan. He knew what was going on. Yep, exactly. Love it. Okay. What do you think about intentionally networking or masterminding with other entrepreneurs? So I was pretty lucky there too, that I was exposed. I think I told you before the, before we started that my industry is unique in that. Um, yeah, we've got some national players like Ashley home stores pretty much everywhere. Although they're sometimes regionally owned and rooms to go is pretty big. Haverty's pretty big, but a lot of our industry is dominated by regional chains three or four markets, give or take, maybe even one if it's a big one. Yeah. And we don't compete. So literally the biggest resource I have is a group of roughly six or seven other retailers. And they're all over Wisconsin, Minneapolis, DC, Florida, Boston. But they all are on the same struggle that I am. Like they're all making the same calls, reacting to COVID. Like when that was going on, we were on a weekly call. Like, what are you guys doing? So that resource to me has been like, unbelievable yeah and then i've got a pretty good one locally the city of, or the university of cincinnati has a family business center family and private business center yeah that puts a lot of stuff on so you get to connect with like a lot of the other local family and private businesses and see what they got going on and that's been pretty good to us as well yeah what do you think the mindset is for you know you mentioned you know the person maybe has a different story they're not multi-generational they're brand new in business they're only doing six seven eight hundred thousand what what's the value in what you just said for them? How should they go about utilizing those things? Well, I think if your goal is to grow it, which hopefully it is, because 
the other options usually not very good. But being able to meet people that have, you know, maybe it's a similar business, being able to meet people that have done it, been there, done that, made the wrong mistakes, or right. under like listen to the process that they're making. You may agree with it or disagree with it, but like the idea that you understand like how they're processing what's going on. Yeah. I think that's crazy valuable. And maybe you use it later, like, oh, how they, the approach they took to making that decision, you know, they took the aggressive approach. They, they chose to barely listen to the government when the government said close, you know, whatever it was like, and how did that play out for them and being able to watch it and, or hear their feedback afterwards. Yeah. It's kind of like you're, you're having seven experiences at one time. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Okay. Last question. This is going to be an interesting question for you because you're a young guy. <laughs> Are you saying it hasn't been interesting yet? This is this is going to be good. <laughs> only only a guy from the Ohio State would say something like that. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll, the question is: If you could whisper in the n- younger Nick's ear, what would you say? It wouldn't matter. He wouldn't listen anyway. <laughs> okay, what is it? What would you tell the listener, the younger Nick listener? Man, I think I'd struggle with that one because again, I I mean I. I do sometimes have to learn it the hard way. I would probably say, you know, take more risks. A lot of times, like I've had a high risk tolerance, always have, always will. I enjoy it. I get burned sometimes. I don't take it personal. I've taken pay cuts just because I rolled the dice and took an all commission pay rate. Like it is what it is. But at the same time, like every time I did that and got hurt, that's when I learned the most. That's when I buckled down the hardest. Like that's when you get better. So like I, I, even though I've taken a lot of risk, I'd take more. If I could do it again, I'd go out later, stay out more, work, leave, leave the girl a little earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. I understand. Okay. Very good. You have been practical. You've been, you've given us just attitude. You've given us so much value here today. Nick, obviously if people are in your area, I want them to know how to find your location. So please drop that information, but also just how can they, how can they connect with you? whether they're in the furniture business or not, they just want to pick your brain. Give us all that information. Where can they find you? Absolutely. So businessesfurniturefair.net. There are a couple other furniture fairs in the country like North Carolina and that, but we're furniturefair.net, Cincinnati, Dayton, and Louisville. You can definitely find me on LinkedIn, Nick Daniels. Happy to talk to anybody in the grind. Happy to learn from anybody. So look forward to it. Yeah, man, love that. We'll put it all in the show notes as well, but we definitely want people, especially if they're in your area, to, to reach out. You've been sensational to say the least. But in all seriousness, thank you for being here. We appreciate just your directness, confidence level, but just the ability to be able to see things from a different perspective, like you said at the very beginning. So thank you for that. Wish you nothing but blessing for your family, your businesses, your locations, your teams. Thanks for being here, man. Definitely appreciate the time. Happy to help anytime. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe. 
that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.